That's right. When you don't know what to do, just keep on breathing. From the City of Angels in Los Angeles and from the, the Big Apple in New York City, welcome to all of my listeners out there in Radio Land. I'm Dave, the Caregiver's Caregiver at caregiverdave.com, along with my lovely co-host, Adrian Gruberg at thecaregiverspace.org. And we are also coming to you live and on demand 24-7 on numerous syndicated radio and podcast networks on 26 global audio and video platforms, including iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Vimeo, Stitcher, Blog Talk, Radio, CastBox, Cloud, and I'm not going to bore you with the rest because there's a lot of them. But in fact, we are proud to be voted number one caregiver podcast of the top 50 on Player FM, number two on Feedspot out of the top 60, number two on caregiver uh, on caringvillage.com. And we have an especially exciting show planned for you today. And But before we get started, I do want to thank uh, my last week's guests, Janet Borgensen and Jonathan Schroeder, Finding Fun in Connection with Vintage Vinyl Records. That was a fun show, wasn't it, Adrian? Yeah, it was. Yeah. And you can listen to that guest and that show and all our shows on caregiverdave.com. Uh, or on any of the other platforms that I mentioned earlier. All right, enough of that. Okay, Bob, welcome to the show. And we're so excited to have you on the Caregiver Dave show. <laughs> Thank you, Dave. Thanks for having me on. Hey, I always like to ask my guests just who is Bob Krulish and why was he placed on this earth? Who? Yeah. Who is Bob Krulish? Well, right now, Bob Krulish is. A father of four, grandfather of about to be six. I have lived my life um, in in an interesting way. I was not diagnosed properly when I was 16 years old and started to show signs of having bipolar disorder. But I finally got diagnosed uh, a mere 35 years later. At the age of 51, after going 35 years untreated and undiagnosed. And that caused a lot of color in my life, a lot of texture, let me tell you. There were a lot of ups and downs and and trials and tribulations from that. And now in the last uh, decade or so, I've been properly diagnosed and treated. And I live very, very well, well medicated. Well, therapized, is that a word, therapized? Yeah. After about 800 hours of therapy, I, call, I think I can make up my own word about that. <laughs> and, um, and now I successfully coach uh, primarily parents on how to communicate effectively with their ill loved one with a mental illness, uh, on how to help them to uh, find the treatment <clears throat> and to live a better life. So, so my life is all about helping other people transform theirs. So you are bipolar. I am. I have bipolar disorder. I have bipolar, to be more specific, type <laughs> one with psychosis, just to add a little flavor to it. You know, I, I have to laugh, Bob, because um, somehow I screwed up and I gave your questions uh, to the other guest. And uh, I kept asking him these questions that you had given me, and uh, he wasn't answering them. And he, he was saying, well, that's a good question. I don't know the answer to that one. 
I see what happened now. He had no idea what I was talking about. <laughs> I was telling Adrian, what a terrible guess. He didn't answer any of the questions. <laughs> I better go back and, uh, and do that interview over. <laughs> talk to him again. Talk one up to the books. Huh, Adrian? <laughs> but I told you that you did that yeah, at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Now the it show. makes sense. Now it makes sense. <laughs> All right. So oh. you're, you're actually coaching caregivers, aren't you? How did that start and how did that happen? Well, it started because I, I eventually decided to reach out to an organization called National Alliance on Mental Illness and go to one of their connection meetings. It's, a, it's meetings of other people like myself or other caregivers that are dealing with somebody themselves or a loved one with a mental illness. And after attending that for a couple of years, I heard uh, about this in our own voice program, the speaker program. And I thought, man, that'd be pretty cool if I could get uh -huh. to do that someday. I'd be, that'd be great. Well, lo little did I know I got to do it right away. And now I've given about a hundred talks <laughs> for that program. Wow. And I'm a, and I'm a trainer for the state of Washington on that wow. program. And, wow. and what ended up happening, Dave, as you can imagine, uh, is that, um, as I gave talks about my well-being, my recovery, my journey, I had parents come up to me at the back of, you know, at the back of the room after the talk and said, can you help us? And I'm like, I don't think so. I'm not a coach. I just can barely get through, you know, I'm just getting through my life. Well, after hearing that enough times, I decided to build a coaching program because I found that my story and my my experience really resonated with these parents and caregivers. And so I've been working with caregivers for about four or five years now, uh, giving them ad advice and mm -hmm. coaching and insights on what it's like to live with a mental illness and, and how I can really be, how they can support their loved one. Wow. Now, what is the definition of mental illness? I mean, it, it just seems like that word is thrown around a lot. You know, you talk about homeless. Oh, well, they're mentally ill. You talk about someone who, uh, you know, is schizophrenic or, um, you know, hearing the hallucination or delusions and hallucinations, voices. What's your definition of mental illness? <clears throat> well, I think on a clinical level, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's somebody who's dealing with a psychiatric uh, illness. Uh, clinically, you know, there's something, uh, in my, my opinion, for the most part, there's, there are medical conditions, brain dysfunctions that are going on in the brain. Too much of this, too little of that, that needs to be uh, overcome with medication and then, um, and then, in addition to that, with therapy. So they would include things like major depressive disorder, anxiety disorder, <clears throat> some of the serious ones, like more serious ones, not that they're not all serious, but schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, bipolar disorder with psychotic features, schizoaffective disorder, uh, all of those would I, would I include in mental mental illnesses mm -hmm. and they all require in my opinion and what my experience has brought me to believe is some kind of clinical interaction would you say that mental illness is on the rise 
in America and the world today? And if so, why? Yeah. Or are we just recognizing it better? Well, we might be recognizing it better, although I wouldn't say that we're really great at identifying it, the average person on, on the street. You know, we're mm -hmm. still not really that good at identifying truly what a mental illness might be. We throw around words like that guy's that guy's so moody, he must be bipolar. Well, um, moodiness and bipolar uh, have a little bit of a connection to it, but uh, you, you need to have uh, a whole lot of symptoms before you're diagnosed with bipolar disorder, both on the manic and on a depressive scale, especially on the manic scale. So I'm not really sure we, we've become more literate, but I can tell you what we have become is more stressed. And, and as, uh, as the society gets more stressed, stress is one of the biggest triggers of a mental illness. It brings on symptoms and it even triggers an illness that may have been lying dormant. Like, like uh, most people, um, uh, their illness will lie dormant for many years. And then like myself, I had a serious stressful event happen when I was about 16 that triggered my bipolar disorder and and that and there is much more stressful events occurring in the in the country and in the world today so i think i think stress is probably the biggest factor in why we have more of it yeah i agree adrian you have a question for uh, bob well i guess i want to know if uh, i mean i have been diagnosed because I have no thyroid as being chemically depressed. Now the thyroid has caused the, yes. men the mental illnesses because of all the chemical imbalance. Do you think that there's chemical imbalances that are causing bipolar and, and schizophrenic disorders? Most definitely um, there are chemical imbalances. There are, um, there are, there's brain function, there are brain structures that are different. There are, there's this whole idea of neurotransmitters and receptor cells bringing information from one place to the next. And sometimes I describe it as my neurotransmitter, you know, is supposed to be bringing information. It's like a quarterback that's blindfolded. Mm. And my receptor cells, they're like a wide receiver with no arms <laughs> trying to catch the ball <laughs> with their helmet. And, 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 and oh, so my signals are way off. Um, and what I do with medication is it puts, takes the blindfold off the quarterback and it puts some arms on the receiver so that information can be properly processed throughout my brain. But I, but, but these are um, these are these kind of illnesses that require that kind of uh, intervention with with med medication. Yeah, I mean, uh, I know that that for me, uh, getting getting treatment didn't occur to me right away. Um, what what gets in the way of of somebody getting treated for mental illness? Do you think? Well, there's um, there's there's a couple of big reasons why people don't get treated. One is they don't want to identify themselves with a mental illness. It's mm -hmm. just too stigmatized. 
Um, no problem being identified with diabetes, although that's a terrible condition as well. Uh, no problem being identified with cancer. You're actually going to get a tremendous amount of sympathy, which is appropriate. You can't get enough sympathy for that. But then you say, you know, I, I remember one time I was just talking to somebody. I was sitting up in first class cabin on a flight. And we were just, I was just having a nice conversation with somebody. And then all of a sudden I just mentioned, you know, that I had bipolar disorder. And it was at one of those moments when everybody in the cabin can hear me talking. Yeah. And, and, and I can tell you the atmosphere changed dramatically. I mean, people were watching me were very, it seemed like people got to be very uncomfortable um, and so I don't say that out loud on a plane anymore. And yeah. I don't say it out loud in many places, but certainly not on an airplane. So you have that going on. You have that, that the fact that people are very uncomfortable with it because they don't understand it. And then and they have a stereotype of the, their own experiences, you know, that crazy brother who just won't take his meds and they got the crazy brother. and he's bouncing off the walls. And that's what they think when someone says the word, they used to call it, Manic depressive, you know. Manic depressive, right, Dave? And that's exactly right. You got a brother-in-law, you got the crazy uncle, you got the guy that you used to work with that went, you know, crazy at work. He didn't take his meds, he didn't take his meds. So everybody thinks that we we have these radical episodes when we when we're really well treated, we don't have any real significant episodes whatsoever. Why do people stop their treatments uh, typically? And is it the majority of people who stop them? It's a, it's a good, it might be the majority of people who stop their treatment. And the reason they do is because uh, one of the major reasons they do is because they no longer feel like they're sick. You know, they get well. And when they're manic. Are, yeah, and they're manic and they get well first if they're manic. They love, they love that flight they're on. That's a, that's first class right there. I mean, because here when you're manic, man, you don't want to be, you don't want to be taken off of that airplane. You're, you're Superman. You're, you know, you, you really feel like you're, you're in, in, invincible in every, every regard. And, um, and you feel very powerful, uh, very, you, you're the smartest person that you know. And just ask me, uh, I'll tell you. And uh, I'll tell you, I'll even tell you the only difference between me and God when I'm manic is that he doesn't think I'm him. But um, I'm pretty sure, um, or that he's me, but I believe that I'm him. Right. I mean, I believe I'm that powerful. And so people don't want to get off of that ride that's really hard. And when we get medicated, we do get off that ride and we're like, man, I'm just like yeah. a regular, ordinary person now. I don't yeah. like it. I don't like where I'm at here. So yeah. that is the big reason. The second, the other reason I was alluding to before is our medical model suggests that you take medication until you feel better. You know, you take the cold meds until you feel better. You don't keep taking the meds after you feel better. Well, when we feel better, we quit taking our bipolar meds or schizophrenic meds or our psychiatric meds. And are they not able to see that they're getting worse when they're not on them or are they in a different world? They kind of go into a 
different world and they have a very distorted view of the world at that point. You know, they get, as they get sicker, they get more distant from reality mm. and, and that, that separates them. And so I primarily work with parents that are work that dealing are dealing with a son or daughter that uh, doesn't believe they're ill. They're, they seemingly are in denial, but I'll tell you what that really is in a minute. And they are not medicated. So I, that's, that's the work I do all day long is working with parents to help their son or daughter uh, see another reason to be medicated other than the illness. But the yeah. third reason, the, 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 the significant reason that more than 50%, the majority of the people with schizophrenia and bipolar disorder suffer from an inability to be aware of their illness. Mm. It's not a lack of ability. It's a total inability. Their brain is broken due to their illness. And another symptom they have, they call it anosognosia. It's it, it just a, a big word for meaning they have no awareness. And you can talk to them until you're blue in the face. And most people do, especially parents. But they cannot process that data. They cannot, they cannot realize the fact that they're sick. And so you have more than half the people with those serious mental illnesses out there who can't know they're sick and are going to be very reluctant to be treated for an illness they don't have. Sounds pretty hopeless for them, Bob. Uh, yeah. why, are, why are you so different? Why, what makes you keep taking your meds? <laughs> Yeah, well, for one thing is I don't suffer from a lack of awareness. I do have awareness uh, when I'm well. Uh, I lack awareness when I'm manic, meaning that I feel like I'm on top of the world. And, and I, I don't think I'm sick when I'm manic. But when I'm well, when I'm treated, I, I realize that I have bipolar disorder. These people about that suffer from unawareness don't even recognize they're sick, even when they're treated. They their brain just doesn't work. So fortunately, I don't have that other condition, that other symptom of anosognosia. And the other thing that keeps me treated is that I long I learned a long time ago. My doctor, when he first diagnosed me, he said, "If you ever want to be with your kids again, because I was separated from them." due to a terrible, terrible parenting, restraining a whole big mess that I had, um, he said that you better stay on your meds. That'll be your ticket to seeing your kids. And he was right. So I call my meds, my kid meds. I don't call them psychiatric meds. I just, I say, I got to take my kid meds tonight. Otherwise I might not see the kids <laughs> tomorrow. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, when you, uh, it doesn't help to have uh, an accountability partner, somebody that you really trust so that uh, you give permission. Hey, when I'm manic, uh, I must not be taking my meds. Would you confront me and, and uh, show me this piece of paper where I gave you permission to <laughs> hit me over the head with a baseball bat to, to get me to take my meds or something like that? That's Does that I work call. or no? Yeah. Yeah, it definitely works. That's the baseball bat contract. You're right. And and I have parents. Oh, I have a name, huh? uh, I, I get, I'm going to give it a name right now. That's a great <laughs> contract. 
it's that baseball contract, uh, baseball bat contract. And you do want to have somebody like that. You want to have a whole team of people, if you can, that you trust. You want to maybe have four or five or six people that can recognize when you're kind of going off the rails. And you want them to kind of approach you and say, hey, Bob, I notice that all of a sudden I can't get a word in edgewise. <clears throat> and I know that's one of the signs of bipolar mania is pressured speech. And so I'm wondering, now this is the key thing, Dave, and Adrian, uh, Adrian is, is the key thing is not to accuse them of not taking their meds. What I do instead is I might say to a friend of mine, if I see them exhibiting symptoms, I might say something like, you know what, I wonder if your meds are not working properly. Because if I say to them, I wonder if you're taking your meds and they're not, what are they going to tell me? Not necessarily the truth. Not the truth. But you don't have to ask them, are you taking your meds? You you know they're not taking them because you see the symptoms. You You know one of two things for sure. They're either not taking them or perhaps that's true that the meds are not working properly anymore because... That happens as well. If if somebody is living on their own and there's no one there to be accountable to or to even recognize that that they have a condition, I mean, what what would be the warning signs of of being bipolar or having a mental illness? Yeah, well, some of the more dramatic warning signs would be that there'd be delusional thinking. You know, that person might show up at work and say, you know what, Um, I can't use this computer anymore because the CIA is tapped into it, you know. Or they might say, um, you know, there are drones listening to me. Right. Or they may have things like in bipolar where they have what I just alluded to, pressured speech. Pressured speech is a real tell of bipolar disorder. That's the guy that you might have met that can't shut up. He just keeps going and going and going and going. And I call him uninterruptible. You can't interrupt him. Even when you try, he'll talk right over you. And if you get a word in edgewise, he'll run right over that (laughs) and hit I've been that guy and I've, I've talked to where I've had three or four people in a room and then I've watched them all walk out the door and I'm still talking. You can't stop talking. That's a big sign of bipolar disorder mania. Uh, there are now, many- I, I have a son. I have an ex. I'm not going to tell you who he is uh, because he <laughs> might be listening, but um, he is paranoid. He's, you know, the CIA is after him. And everywhere he goes, you know, uh, people are watching him and this and that. And he is totally anti-mental illness. He's in total denial. He thinks we're crazy because we won't believe him. Is there hope for him? Or do we just have to live with this insanity for the rest of our life? Because, you know, he, he, he has to deal with my daughter, not my daughter because they got a divorce, but uh, his daughter, which is my granddaughter. And, uh, you know, he comes around all the time and it's just like, you know, you got to walk on eggshells. What do we do, Bob? Yeah. Yeah. What that person and what I teach my parents and the people I coach is that, he, you know, you really need to build a relationship, you know, a relationship of trust where 
you know, if you had a relationship of trust, you could go to him and say, you know what, I see some things that are just kind of off about you. You know, they just seem to be different than the rest of the world. And I wonder if it would be, you know, you, if you would consider doing me a favor and going to see a doctor or maybe getting treated for it. That's, what that's kind of a doctor would, should we start with? With a psychiatrist in, in, in these cases. Yeah, I the, mean, the very name psychiatrist has such stigma to it. Has such <laughs> How stigma. do you deal with that? <laughs> I know. And, and, I, and I wish it didn't. Um, I do know that uh, general practitioners, great as they are, um, don't spend <clears throat> a lot of time studying psychiatric uh, illnesses. Uh, to the degree where they might recognize them. Like, for example, in my own life, I went to general practitioner many times about my, my anxiety, my, my, my mood swings and things like that. And they characterize it as having anxiety disorder, depression, and the like, but never was able to identify that it was bipolar disorder because they're not they're not really well seasoned in that. And only until recently did they even know what it was. I mean, it, I have another relative who had a father, you know, in the, in the thirties, uh, he was mm. in the Hollywood and he was uh, very manic depressant, which is what they called it at that time. And um, you know, it, he was, he lived a tortured life and cause nobody knows what it was. And, and apparently there are a lot of Hollywood people uh, in that, in that boat. Well, listen, we're coming to the end of the um, time together. Uh, let's talk about your book. Why did okay. you write it? What do you hope to accomplish? Uh, and how can people get it? Well, I really wrote it because uh, people again kept asking me to write a book about this story about going 35 years untreated, undiagnosed. How's that even happened in this country? Is that possible? And yes, it is. And then is it possible that a guy like that, like your friend that you were alluding to, I was like him, very much like him. Can he get help? Can he get fixed? You know, can he, can he, get, can he have a, a life uh, that he would consider worth living? And yes, I'm proof positive of that. And that's why I wrote the book. I really wanted people to know that even in somebody, in a case like the guy you described, uh, the father of your grandchild, can live a really healthy life. If he will the book happens. will the book help? I mean, is it easy reading? Would he? Book is, uh, it seems less threatening than saying, "Let's go visit a psychiatrist." Will this be a good first step? This would be a great first step. Uh, yeah, just share the book with him and say, you know, here's a great, here's a book. I got to go buy it. You got to go buy it. Yeah, and you can buy it? that uh, at any major store. I think bookstores. Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, amazon.com, sure. What if he has anosognosia? That's a good point. know what that word meant. <laughs> and, yeah, right. You asked the last guest a <laughs> question. That's he crazy. says, I don't know what that word means. It's <laughs> <laughs> a big word. <laughs> if he has anosognosia, I, 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 uh, I say, um, you know, I do uh, workshops twice a month three-hour workshops really addressing how to deal with that with that particular problem. That's great. And, and I would Where are you uh, located? I'm in Seattle. I do all my workshops on Zoom. If all they right. went to bobkrulish.com, B-O-B-K-R-U-L-I-S-H.com. And how long are your workshops? 10? 
in the, the workshops are for three hours. And I really give them a program called LEAP, L-E-A-P, that was designed by a doctor that, that really figured out how to talk to somebody what anastigmosis is. His brother was suffering from it, Dr. Amador, and um, he wrote a great book about it, I'm Not Sick, I Don't Need Help, right. and was able to help his brother get treated. His brother had schizophrenia and never recognized the fact that he had schizophrenia, but through this method that Dr. Amador taught and learned, and now has taught me as one of his trainers, he was able to get his brother diagnosed and treated. And okay, so one step at a time. The book would be a good first step. You talk about your, your workshops in the book, I assume. Yes. No, uh, I don't work- mention them in the book because I, was, I did the book before the workshops came about. Okay, so a workshop would be a good second step if, if he gets through the book, right? Workshops are a great step for a caregiver. Oh, for a so caregiver. If you're a caregiver like but yourself. But not for him. Not for the. Yeah, not the necessarily for the person, okay. right? Because they're really addressed to how, right. how in the world do I help? How to deal person? with, with a, a loved one who is, and, and you're the caregiver. Well, yeah, you know, can you imagine uh, someone with dementia who is also dealing with this, which my, I have another relative whose mother is an alcoholic, which has induced the dementia. And she oh has goodness. she has mental illness as well, and it's like my gosh, you know, oh, how, my how do you gosh. keep from killing yourself? You know, oh, it's so <clears throat> sad. That's <clears throat> hard. That's really hard. <clears throat> All right, well, Bob, thank you so much for coming on the show again. Give me that website uh, if someone wants to get a hold of you. So Bob Krillish, B O B K R U L I S H dot com. Go there. You'll get a free copy of, uh, of the first chapter of my book if you okay. go to my website. And you also go on the events tab, and you can sign up for any one of my workshops that you see listed right. on the events tab. And they're all free. So I could even get, uh, if I sign up for the workshop, it would give me some practical advice in my communication with him. Yes? Yes. Even though I'm not his caregiver. Yes. It would definitely teach you a I lot. I would understand him more better how to understand him and how to communicate with him more effectively and i can share that with you know his daughter and maybe uh that will improve her communication with him and your daughter and well she tries not to talk to him they're exes you know (laughs) okay (laughs) so maybe not her (laughs) (laughs) but he had a daughter and a son he has a daughter and a son both my grandkids and the son just turned 18 the daughter's 22 so i mean you know they're adults yeah, yeah, they're adults, and anybody yeah. who's trying to support a loved one right. with a mental illness, where they're struggling with their loved one's ability to be treated or willingness to be treated, would do well by attending the workshop. I give them a lot of great tips and techniques and skills on how to really effectively communicate with somebody. Right. Like that. Thanks again, Bob, and for everybody tuning in. Uh, I'm Caregiver Dave at caregiverdave.com. Our website's a membership site. And we've got lots of free gifts for you that will help you not just survive, but to thrive caregiving. And Adrian has a wonderful, wonderful website at uh, care, the, the caregiverspace.org. She's got uh, chats and uh, uh, it's a great, great place. Thank you again, Bob. Have a nice day. Great to be with you both, Adrian and Dave. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And I'll get these links out to you, Bob, uh, by the end of the day. Okay, that's great, Dave. Thanks Share for on having your social me. media. Bye bye. I got a question. I know we're 
Now, for me or for Bob? No, for both. For both of you, you said that you uh, had a restraining order. Yes. You were motivated to take your medication to see your kids. Ah, uh, yes. I'm asking if Dave's daughter can. Yeah, that's a good idea. That to motiv- motivate him to to seek some help. Yeah. Yeah. That would probably uh, need to have an incident happen, you know, like an incident where they yeah. said, okay, that's the last straw. If you want to see, you know, uh, as opposed to just doing it for no apparent reason, you know, quote unquote. But all you got to do is wait. There's always an incident happening. <laughs> yeah. Like for me, I was stalking my ex-wife Yeah, uh, uh, when I was very sick. I was very, very sick. Mm-hmm. So she took everybody away from me, my kids, herself. Yeah. Well, it's a great idea, Adrian. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay. Bye, Bob. Okay. Bye bye, guys. We are a community of caregivers that understands and supports you wherever you are in your journey. We are a place to connect with other caregivers, but more importantly, a place to get practical, actionable help. There are lots of ways for you to get support. First of all, you can download our welcome pack. This will get you started on your Thrive journey. Next, you can ask and get answers to your questions by posting them here in our private Facebook groups. You can also get live online support by attending one of our live weekly Connect webinars. You can get practical, actionable advice by listening to our weekly podcast. You can hear and read other stories about other caregivers' experiences. Plus, add your own in our weekly Share Your Story forum, posted every Tuesday in the Facebook group. You can access essential resources and download practical Thrive Solutions Packs, all of which are geared to help you thrive as a caregiver. You can get lifetime access to all of our resources. Again, we're here to support you and help you thrive and to enjoy your life as a caregiver. And remember, this is a place to get hope not just cope. Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing again. Keep breathing, take it in. Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.